This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, I hate to say it, but I have not slept well since our last episode when you were talking <laughs> about the snakes. It's just, it's too much for me, so I, I just beg you, no more snake stories. So what's <laughs> no. our chit-chat today? Snake stories. <laughs> <laughs> Steve knew that. <laughs> it's true, I did. Uh, yeah, so since our last snake story, we've had <laughs> three more snake encounters. Oh, my God. So the first one, I, um, I was outside. We were actually working on something in the dark, you know, with floodlights or whatever. And we heard this huge ruckus over in one of the small little chicken yards where the small chickens are, the grow outs are. And I was like, what What did you heck? call them? Grow outs? Grow outs, yeah. Okay. It's like, so I can't just turn little chicks loose, right? So I, I have, we call it, we call it the penthouse. It's just a, <laughs> a, a thing, a, a homemade structure that is attached to a fence yard. So they can come in and out, but they're inside that fence. They can't just go roam wherever they want. And I keep bird netting over it. But right now, bird netting is only over half of it. And so it is kind of still a snake invitation to a snack and so you hear this huge ruckus running over what the heck is that and in this little structure quote-unquote penthouse um the the sidewalls uh are half screened with this really really tight uh i call it a hardware cloth so it's for ventilation right and i still had a um like a big light uh a heat lamp in there where in case, because sometimes the nights they still chill down enough and, and they'll go and sit under the lamp if they're chilled. So we still had light on in there at the time. And the whole space of that hardware cloth was filled with a snake. Mm. And it was like, oh my God. And, you know, like I said before, normally I don't want to kill them. I, you know, they, they serve a purpose. But when they're inside, that one was big enough to kill them, to kill the, the chicks, the grow outs, and do some serious damage. And it wasn't exactly me making all the decisions at the moment. So anyway, Snake, snake is dead. Um, but it was like six feet or so. It was, it was big. So that's like, okay. I'm already like, okay, that's two snakes already within a very short period of time. This is a lot. And so I've started being a lot more mindful of, you know, just carrying flashlight wherever I go, even when it's not completely dark and just, you know, watching where I'm stepping. But normally I've never seen a snake so close up to the house or anything. It's usually down where the, the, the chickens are. But there's a very small little uh, nest box up by the house because that's where the little, you know, those ones, the bantams that were making noise outside oh, yeah. the window the other oh, day. Yeah. Some of them will go in there and lay eggs. And I, I, so, because they, they were meant as pets originally, and it was just like, anyway. I went to just go see if there was anything in there, and there was a snake in there. 
And at first my reaction was, oh, because it was a little one. It was only like, I don't know, maybe three feet. Oh, Snick says hi. And I was going to take a picture of it. And then it started rattling. <laughs> and I just about peed my pants. And I'm like in that moment of like, because <laughs> I was close. I was really close to it. And it had its mouth open like it's going to try and get me. But I wasn't scared until it started rattling because I swear I thought it was a rat snake. Um, and then I'm like freaking out going, realizing I don't actually know all the color markings for rattlesnakes. And there's not supposed to be rattlesnakes in this area. So what is with that? And I'm like freaking out. And then I, I go run, like, do I need to get something to try and get it? Like a hoe or something. I run off and when I come back, he's gone. And I'm just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, where is... And so I start Googling. And that's when I realized that rat snakes um, will imitate the motions of a rattler. <laughs> <laughs> I felt really, really stupid. But by that time, my heart rate, like my adrenaline is pumping, right? So I'm like, all right, fine. So I go tromping off to do the other things I'm doing outside, working in the garden. And there's this this gravel area, like where cars drive over. It doesn't have any grass or anything. And and I'm just not really paying attention because it's what what would be there out in the open on the gravel. And I'm walking by and I swear to God, little freaking copperhead jumped at me. <laughs> <laughs> like jumped at me like he's trying to get me. I'm like, what the heck? And, and I stepped back, like, I was, like, startled because I did not see him there. He jumped, like, jumped at me twice. And then and then I stepped away, and then he went slithering off, and I'm like, okay, that's two. That's two in one day. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know where that copperhead is, and I hope that he doesn't kill anything. But anyway, yeah, more snake stories. It's so fun. Um, I guess it's been a wet year, or I don't know, it's just the time of year. All I know is just, like, I don't go anywhere at night now with like carefully scanning the ground, every step, looking above the trees, looking everywhere. Okay, it's safe to go that way for now. I'm just like, oh. All right. So you just, you basically told two stories. You weave them together. It was an organic story that you, <laughs> that you told. And I'm wondering if you thought to yourself, should I throw in some atmosphere at some point? <laughs> Or should I throw in some description, like the moon was, you know, just covered up by a cloud and the lightning was striking in the in the background? Did you think about that, Taylor? You're so smooth. So this You're is so smooth. This is today's today's topic is the difference between organic storytelling, which we just heard, and ticking boxes because you think these items need to be in the story. And that's what I was trying to interject into Taylor Stevens, Taylor Stevens' story. So, Which is great. That yes. was really good. And this all came from some discussion that came up after we stopped recording last week. So yeah. we decided so, rather than have a lengthy discussion, just the two of us, that we would go into detail um, in a show. So what happened was um, in last week's episode, we I had been going over uh, some material from the, the story that Steve was working on about and we talked about how description has to serve a purpose and went through and there were some specific scenes, some specific lines at the end that I went and cut out. And after the show, uh, we got to talking and Steve mentioned that those 
movement lines and the description were there simply because after all the work that we had done talking about movement beats and whatnot, he just, he thought something needed to go there. And so that's why he put it there. So he didn't put it there necessarily because as part of his storytelling, he felt like something belonged. He put it there because he thought he should think it belonged there. He was trying to do the things that we had talked about, right? And um, I, I felt bad uh, because <laughs> it, it feels like it feels like I got him into trouble. Not, not, not in those words exactly, but he was trying to do what he thought I was teaching him to do. And it, it made me think that in some ways, like all of this advice that we offer, the, the material that we go over, sometimes I know it's helpful because I hear from the listeners how helpful it is, but I worry that maybe also it can be unhelpful in the sense that there's so much that you start creating mental checklists of, you know, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to remember to do this. And it, it creates a, a checklist of sorts, knowingly or unknowingly. And the as you write, you and you're you're crafting your story, you second guess yourself, like, oh, am I am I doing all the right things? And you end up in a situation where you're just trying to tick boxes and, you know, include the things because you think they're supposed to be there instead of just writing. Right. But it's a it's a catch 22 because normally I'd be like, oh, just trust your gut. And, you know, don't don't put it there just because I said we you know, you need to make sure you have movement beats or because, you know, oh, I haven't had this in a while. So now I need to put it there, you know, follow your gut. But if you knew how to, if you felt comfortable, confident following your gut, you wouldn't be listening to the show in the first place. <laughs> so that's not helpful. So I don't really know what the solution is. I just know that if, if you're listening to the show for advice and in the end it turns into a thing of like ticking off boxes, your writing's going to start feeling really formulaic. And that's the opposite of what we're going for. So that's what we were talking about. And I don't know, maybe we could expand on that here. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I, we've both and everybody listening to the show has read books on writing and plotting and, and things like that. And every single plotting book I've ever read, there's, there's this internal debate that the author has, you have to make this debate for the reader so that you can make the case that yes, plotting is a good thing. And that is that yes, it can seem formulaic if you do these things and follow this form to create a story arc and to, to actually create the story, but if you don't do it, then you don't have a story. So it's, it's that kind of thing, but at a much smaller level where, as, as Taylor said, or I, I will watch the way she'll change things and just add a small movement beat here or a small piece of description, and it just brings everything to life. And it's second nature for her to, to be able to do that. For me, it's not second nature. So I will be going along and there'll just be this wall of dialogue. And it's okay, there needs to be some internal dialogue here 
Um, we need to, the character needs to reflect because this is something that we talk about a lot. The character needs to reflect on what's happening so that. To inform the reader. So the reader knows. Yes. Yes. We're inside the character's head. Yes. So that needs to be there. And then it does, it almost becomes like, I don't know if, if, if we have any golfers out there. I am not a golfer. And the reason I'm not a golfer is because. I cannot swing a golf club the way that everyone tells me I need to swing a golf club because there are too many things to remember to hit the ball straight, and I can't do it. So I stopped playing golf. And it, it, to a certain extent, it can feel like that. It's like, okay, you need to have this, and then you need to have this, and you need to remember to do this, and you have to do this. And a lot of that comes in after the fact for me. It's the free-flowing writing comes first, and then it's like, okay, there's too much of this, and there's not enough of this, so I'm going to add this here, and I'm going to add this here. And oh, by the way, I was reading this book the other day, and I really like the way this author did this, so I'm going to put this in here. And then all of a sudden, you've got a Frankenstein monster in Chapter 7. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what the answer is. It feels like anything I say is going to be unfair. Because so much of what I do is instinct. It's on instinct. It's, I, I feel it. I feel the words on the page. I feel the way they make me feel. And I, I realize not everybody's like that. And so, so much of what I'm doing in trying to break things down is to run that instinct or that sense of feeling through a converter and convert it into technique or steps that anybody can be able to follow. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think that some of it really is just about experience and doing it over and over and over and getting a feel for it. Like the tips and techniques, they can shortcut a lot of that. But ultimately, it it has to be something that you yourself learn by doing And I don't want to be a hindrance to that by just keep throwing things at people and saying, and then there's this and be mindful of this. And here's how you do this. And then it turns into, like Steve said, a Frankenstein monster. Well, and I think we all learn differently. And my method of learning is to keep doing it wrong until I can do it right. And then I don't even understand what changed, but I'm suddenly I'm doing it right. And so I just have to keep trying (laughs) until it, becomes closer to right, and then it makes more sense. Um, it's almost I mean, like wait. riding a bike kind of thing, where you, you, you fall off and 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 you run into the mailbox, and then all of a sudden you're not doing that anymore. Yeah, but I mean, when people used to ask me, you know, how did you learn to write? I, when, you know, I would just say, well, I just kept going until it didn't bother me anymore. Like, as I was reading my own words, it didn't bother me anymore. And that's when I knew that, okay, that was as good as I could personally get it. Problem is that stuff bothers me now that didn't bother me before. Mm-hmm. So as you learn, as you get better, your goalposts for what bothers you keep keep moving. But it's it's essentially exactly what you just said. If you just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until you don't fall off anymore. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this just to say that is other than just to say that uh, it, it can be a risk of getting all all this advice is that your writing turns into a form of ticking off boxes instead of just telling the story. And I am concerned about it. 
Well, one of the things that we also talked about last week is the idea that you, when you start writing, you want to write in a certain style. Whatever that style is, it's something that you appreciate. You want, you want to write in this style. Or, or I shouldn't say you. I'm me. I want to write in a, in a certain style. And as my writing has evolved, the things that I used to like to read or things that I thought were good writing, now I, I think less of. And uh, yeah. so you had you had used the phrase, uh, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, something to the effect that you outgrow your your mentors, so to well, speak. Sometimes, or... sometimes we outgrow our heroes. Yes, and it it was to do with uh, exactly what you described. How um, if you if you have authors that you've loved and they've done things a certain way, then you just assume, well, that's the way that I need to do it. And I did that with Robert Ludlum, like. Everybody who's heard me talk knows that I would never have even gotten into this if it hadn't been for a Robert Ludlum book. And uh, so everything I knew about writing fiction, I don't I won't even call it thrillers because I didn't even know genre at that point, was from reading Robert Ludlum's books. Like books were supposed to be exciting. But the way that he wrote his books, um, you know, he always went into he had very I know this now. I, I didn't see it at the time. But his dialogue was pretty embarrassing, and um, he would go into great detail about the types of weapons and would over-describe things. And that's really how I thought things were supposed to be done, because I had learned that from him. And so uh, I, I did things in the earlier books that I no longer do, in a sense, emulating my heroes. So when I say sometimes we outgrow our heroes, it doesn't mean that we are going to outgrow them and go beyond them in terms of selling more books or publishing to a greater audience or anything like that. It just means that over time we find our own way of doing things, our own voice, and we find that maybe uh, the way they did it doesn't actually work for us in terms of storytelling technique or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean... A lot of times that's how we get started is by emulating what we've seen those that we appreciate do. But there will eventually, most likely, come a time where emulation actually works against you because you've reached that stage in your own writing where you're finding your style, you're finding your voice, and that's when you outgrow your hero. Yeah, and it's not... It's not so much outgrowing your hero, it's outgrowing what you first noticed about your hero. Yeah. And and that might be a particular method of adding atmosphere, in, in, in my case, um, where I, I will see the way a particular author does it, and it's like, okay, I can understand that, it's very formulaic, and all I need to do is do exactly what he's doing, and it will work for me. And it doesn't work for me. Because that's another form of ticking off boxes. Yes, yes. And that's what actually started the discussion last week. And I, I was explaining to Taylor, it's like, here's why I put this line in here, and this is why it was, you know, like that many words. I mean, it, it wasn't that precise, but this is this is why I was doing it. And it, it's like, it doesn't make sense where it is. It's, and 
it's like that's the part in the bike riding process that I don't understand yet. It's like for the person who uses this technique, it works beautifully. For me, it, it doesn't work. It, it just made me think of something related in, in terms of, you know, taking supposedly taking off the boxes, right, or getting this scenes to structure properly, is that sometimes I have found, in fact, today, yesterday, the day before, the day before that, I have found that, you know, scenes are not written in isolation, right? It's part of the larger story. And you can get too close to the forest to see the trees. You can get stuck in the weeds in a particular scene, and you can write yourself into complete awkwardness. And sometimes you can solve that by stepping back and going back to a couple pages before where you are and start reading so you start to feel the flow of what's happening in the scenes, what's happening between the characters. And then by the time you hit the part that you're twisting into knots, it'll jump out at you what's not working because it'll feel so like, oh, that doesn't belong there. And, and it can give you insight into what to cut, what to move, where to fix things when in, instead of tick, instead of going, oh, I need to add this or I need to add that because I, you know, that's what the, the list of things that I'm working on needs. You actually will feel it organically simply because you've took, taken a step back and moved forward again. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great idea. And, you know, all of this discussion just kind of emphasizes how important storytelling, having the ability to, st to tell stories is versus, uh, like, building a story out of building blocks, just the ability to tell a story the way you did in the beginning with the snakes and, and the way you do at the beginning of almost every week is just you tell a story and that's what you've been doing your whole life. You've been telling stories and then eventually you evolve to writing stories and you have a natural sense of that. And it is, I believe something that can be learned, but to learn it, you probably need to go through the building block stage to get to the point where you can look at it differently. I mean, like it's like building a house. You can build a perfectly square house with perfectly square rooms that make sense, or you could, you could build a house that just flows and is beautiful, and people walk into it and, and, and are stunned at everything that's there. They're both the same, um, but the first time you build a house, it's probably going to be one of those square houses. And, you know, maybe the 97th house you build is going to be the one that's this beautiful design. I'm not building so much as maybe designing a house. If you were an architect or something, you have to learn how to do this. And you, you, I'm assuming that it, it wasn't, wasn't the case for you. You didn't learn by building blocks you just you learned by sanding your story you just kept sanding the story until it it reached the point that you liked it i really have to think about that <laughs> i think that you have a very what you're saying is absolutely true i think that uh again caution caution about getting too much teaching too much advice um is that you can begin to feel like your earlier works need to somehow match my 
where I, where I am now, like you don't, your, your writing does not need to be like mine. God forbid it should take you as long as it takes me. (laughs) So, um, yes, exactly what you're saying. You know, the first house, it's perfectly fine for it to be this way. It, It works. It doesn't have to be the masterpiece. Right. Um, and as far as, my own work. I don't know. I mean, I just did the book club thing on the informationist and it was pretty blocky. It mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't a, it was a good story. I finally got, got into it and whatever, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was nowhere near what I could do with something similar today, but I'm the only one who notices that like everybody else is just like, Oh, it's my favorite book, whatever. Um, and I keep trying to give them another favorite book and it's not working. Uh, so uh, everything you just said, yes, I, I absolutely agree. The only thing I just can't figure out is how how I learned what, what happened, what, what my process was other than just I, I maybe I just was born with a story sense that is an unfair advantage. Well, yeah. I mean, we all are born with things that are unfair unfair advantages. I have some, you have some, um, everyone listening has some, uh, and they may not have anything to do with writing. Uh, but it, it, we can still learn to get better, and that's why we listen. It's, I don't think, I mean, for me, if I were listening to this instead of participating in it, I wouldn't be listening so that I could be perfect, I would be listening so that I could get better. And I would, I would be trying to pluck out the one or two things that I can apply to my writing today. And that's what I try and do. And that's probably one of the reasons that I come up with these. It's not an actual checklist, but it becomes like a mental checklist. I'll just kind of remember, oh, yeah, yeah I, need, I need to plug this in here. But one of, my, one of the problems, a theory... Um, is that my writing is too sporadic because my work keeps me from doing as much writing as I would like to do. And when I write regularly and for lengthy periods of time, I can see it when I read my own stuff that there are periods where it's a lot better. And then it stops because I'm not able to do it for a while and I have to start over again. And, and that's yeah. what it feels like. I'm starting over again. Yeah. And and just to be really clear, it's better because you're in that flow of the story. It's not better because you didn't put in enough time for yes. practice, so to speak. It's it's the same thing, a different version of the same thing of what I was saying about stepping back and going a couple pages backwards mm-hmm. and then moving forward because it gets you into that flow and that rhythm. When you when you're coming back to your story very regularly for big chunks of time, you have a longer chance to sit in that rhythm and and find your voice and find the story and less need to fall onto formula or ticking off boxes or whatever. So very, very, very true again, what you just said. Yes. And most people I don't. I, if I were to guess at a percentage, I would guess eighty-five percent of the people that write, and that's just a pure guess, um, don't have as much time as they would like to write. So there are lots of people in my position who are doing better than I am because they they carve out the time to do it every single day or on a regular basis so that they don't lose that flow. Well, one thing you can do, 
Um, and I, I used to be able to do this so much more. And I know that it had an impact and made it easier to write. It's, if you can't sit down and have that time with the characters on the page or the story on the page, that you still do it in your head. So like commutes and uh, exercise and all of that. Some people will listen to audiobooks, music or whatever. I found for me that if I if I listened to music, especially music without words, it allowed my mind chance to unspool and to pull me into that story so that by the time I did have a chance to sit and work on the words again, I didn't feel so far away from it where I, it didn't feel like I was having to start over because I had that mental space available. And again, not everybody has that. Uh, I find it's harder and harder for me to get that because there's just so much going on uh, in the world in general, mm -hmm. besides just my own life. But if you have that opportunity, it's a way to um, to build off of whatever limited time you have at the desk. So I guess one of the points of this episode is that a lot of people are going through, you know, the, the ticking boxes versus organic storytelling uh, conundrum where we're trying to add these things in and it's not coming the way we want to. And the reality is it's just it's just not there yet. It's, it's okay. You know, we're going to eventually, we're going to be able to ride our bike past the neighbor's mailbox without running into it. Yeah. Yeah. If you can just keep at it. Yeah. Okay. So I think that is it. Um, if this episode triggered something in your mind, that's great. If not, we will be back with more kicking writing in the butt uh, <laughs> again next week. Uh, but, but this was something for people who are struggling a little bit. And uh, if you're like me and you're struggling a little bit, I hope you found it helpful. Thanks for being here, guys. See you next week.